You're listening to the podcast version of the Recruit of Talionis audiobook. I'm your narrator, writer, and host, award-winning author C.J. Malacy. Each week, we'll bring you further into the mysterious and dangerous dystopian world of Talionis and Bria's fight for survival. And we're kicking off this podcast a few days before the audiobook officially releases so that you can get a taste of the story. This podcast will drop a new episode every day for the first week until the full audiobook releases on October 6, 2023. After that, you can tune in each Friday to hear the next chapter in this story. Now, let's dive in. Chapter 2 Two hours later, with my dad and the twins back from the docks, the six of us head to the village square. The last thing I want to do is go to the festival. There are too many people, too many memories. But the promise of the upcoming trip with my mom propels my feet along. I can do this. I hope. I focus on the familiar landscape I pass, trying to keep myself from falling into the trap of my memories. We pass dozens of small cottages, much like ours, made from logs cut down in the Delamere wood with thatched roofs and chimney stacks. The closer we get to the square, the more crammed together they are. A few specialty shops are sprinkled among them, but mostly homes populate the two miles between our house and the square. Narrow walkways separate each home and wider roads for horses and carts run between the housing sections. Occasional patches of concrete dot the lanes. People crowd the square, and the smells of roasted meat mixed with freshly baked pastries waft through the air. My stomach grumbles. Brightly colored blue and green fabrics are draped throughout the square for the festival, and a temporary stage is set up in the midst, filled with musicians playing an upbeat tune. We drop off the creamed cakes and pies my mom and aunt made at the dessert table, one of many tables situated around the square. Most of our trading bonds this week went to purchasing supplies for the treats, which is just like about everyone else in Derby. The town goes all out for the festival, celebrating surviving another year after the demise. As soon as they can, Eli and Zeke race over to join the kids in the public meeting house, where they'll spend most of the day playing games and winning prizes. I smile as I watch them go. That was my favorite part of the festival when I was their age. Esri loved it too. My smile fades. Why does everything remind me of him? I shove the memories down into the place I keep them locked away. Bria! I peer through the crowd, searching for the face that accompanies that familiar voice. Lency beams at me from several feet away, Jackson next to her. I make my way toward my two closest friends, thankful for the diversion. If I have to be here, at least I can spend the day with them. Jackson's muscular frame and serious expression almost make Lency look like a child with her petite build and pigtails. Her face isn't as pale as usual, and the dark smudges under her eyes seem less noticeable. She gives me a hug, her squeeze a little tighter. As she pulls away, an impish grin lights her face. I signed you up for the tug-of-war contest. What? I groan and take a step back. Come on, Lance. You'll have fun. Jax is doing it too. 
Jackson's eyebrows rise. Don't bet on it, he says in his low voice. I'm going to split from here as soon as I can and go fishing. Shocking. I roll my eyes. Lency and I share a knowing look. Jackson hates crowds. I'm surprised he showed up at all. The most likely explanation is that Lency nagged him about it. She turns her light blue eyes on me, her mouth pulled to the side, the way she does whenever she's about to say something and she doesn't know how I'll receive it. I brace myself. How are you handling things today? She asks. Fine. The word is sharper than intended, but Lency doesn't seem phased by it. She opens her mouth. Uh, guess what? I say. My mom is taking me with her on another commission. We leave tomorrow. Lency lets out a long-suffering sigh, but allows the change of topic. That's great. A sparkle lights her eyes. You'll become an Arendelle Scout one day. I just know it. You really think so? I tuck my lip between my teeth. Lency nods. Definitely. Jackson shrugs. I still don't understand why you want to be a scout for Arendelle. You'll have to leave Derby, train in the mountain refuge, and probably never live by the sea again. I smirk. Not all of us love fishing as much as you do. I'm just saying. Jax lifts a hand up, the hint of a smile teasing his mouth as he looks out of the corner of his eye at Lency. Jackson! Lency whacks him on the arm, the reaction I'm sure Jackson expected. Don't be ridiculous. Scouts get to travel, see new places. They do a lot of good. Derby wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Arendelle and their scouts. Her hands fly into the air. Bria will be a part of that. I duck my head, brushing at a stray piece of lint. Even though Lency's illness keeps her from certain dreams... She always encourages mine. I've wanted to be a scout for as long as I can remember. Two and a half years, and then I'll be 20 and old enough. Though on days like today, when the memory of Ezri is so close to the surface, the dream seems foolish. The tenor in the square changes as the contests begin, and I do my best to focus on what's happening and on the conversation with my friends but my mind is having too hard of a time suppressing memories of my brother and telling me I'll never be worthy of being a scout. Go on, you're up. Lency prods at Jackson and me. My forehead furrows. Huh? Told you she wasn't listening, Lency says to Jackson. It's time for the tug of war competition. Can't wait to watch. She gives us a cheery smile. No. I say flatly. Oh, come on. Don't be so boring, Lency says. I'm not doing it. I lift an eyebrow at Lency, preparing for her argument. She opens her mouth, then closes it again. Fine, she huffs. When you get all stubborn, no one can make you do anything. I grin. Thanks. It's not a compliment. Lency whips her head around to face Jackson. You'd better hurry and get over there before it starts. He shakes his head. I don't want to go either. Jackson Riston, go do the tug of war. A fit of coughing cuts her off. A tense. Jackson's hand goes to support Lency as the cough racks her body. 
After a few minutes, her coughing dissipates, but her shoulders stoop. She removes her arm from Jackson's hold and gives him a weak shove. Go. Do the competition. Jackson glances at me, and I nod for him to go. At least he listens to me, Lindsay murmurs as he walks away. There's an airy quality to her voice. Let's sit over here and watch, I suggest. She agrees without any argument, which is almost as concerning as her cough. Some of Lindsay's strength comes back as we cheer on Jax's team. Despite his half a dozen concerned glances in our direction, his team wins. After a while, the competitions wrap up, and as evening approaches, everyone finds a place with their family at the tables for dinner. Lancy joins her family, though based on her weary face, I doubt they'll be staying long. There's no sign of Jack's, which means he probably left to go fishing. I find my family and settle between my mom and Zeke. Eli is on the other side of Zeke, and the twins talk over each other as they tell me everything they did. Their antics and enthusiasm actually make me smile. My stomach grumbles and I gaze longingly at the food, ready to fill my plate. But just like every other year, we have to wait for the mayor to give his speech and toast, which will be longer and more boring than necessary. Like it always is. Mayor Jasper Tesson shuffles to the center of the stage, holding a glass of apple cider, prepared by the Grendons for today. He clears his throat, and conversations die as everyone gives him their attention. Eli puffs out a sigh, and Zeke flops back in his chair. Why does he always gotta talk? Zeke folds his arms across his chest. He's boring. I almost burst out laughing, but manage to keep it together. Just be quiet for a bit, and then you can eat. Fine, he mumbles with a frown. I ruffle his hair. What a wonderful day we're having today, thanks to an excellent harvest, Mayor Tesson begins. But we would be remiss to celebrate without remembering why we are celebrating. We would not be where we are today if we hadn't banded together after the demise. When he says demise, he deepens his voice and tilts his head down, his face taking on what I'm sure he thinks is a grave, serious expression. But to me, he resembles a distressed cow, which makes me want to laugh. He clears his throat and I settle in for what I'm sure will be some variation of what he said every year since he became mayor seven years ago. Why he feels the need to tell us about the demise, even though we all know about it, I haven't yet figured out. Everyone knows it's the reason we have the festival each year on the last Saturday of September. I zone out. It hardly seems like reliving the destruction of North America is relevant. After all, I don't remember the great nation it once was. It seems to me our time would be better spent discussing how to continue moving forward, not looking back. Looking back is dangerous. Painful. At least in my travels with my mom, it doesn't seem like every village harps on the demise like we do. My parents think it's important to remember, and I respect them. But all I want is to move on and leave the past where it is. In the past. 
Mayor Tesson's arms shoot up above his head to emphasize whatever it is he's talking about, his large belly jiggling with the effort. The quick movement causes some of the cider to slosh out of his cup, but he doesn't seem to notice. A laugh bursts from me, and I quickly disguise it as a cough. My mom glances over and smirks, which almost starts me giggling. He drones on in his irritating, squeaky voice for several minutes as the food cools and the rest of us shift in our seats. The mayor is oblivious. I bounce my leg up and down. I wish my mom had just let me stay home. Eli pokes Zeke with his fork, who, in return, shoves him in the arm. I grab Zeke and pull him toward me, then reach around him to flick Eli in the ear. Stop, I hiss. Both sets of eyes grow large as they settle back into their seats. For now. Maybe I should switch seats with Zeke since they can't stay this still for long. Before I can move, the mayor brings his speech to a close. And so today... As we celebrate that we've survived another year, Mayor Tesson says, let us remember how far we have come and celebrate how far we will go. We all lift our glasses of cider and say the toast. To Derby, a town born to survive. Together, we all take a drink of the cider. Chapter 3 Crying chips its way through my dreamless sleep. Foggy clouds muddle my brain, and I don't want to let them drift away. But the crying persists. Zeke? Strange. He hasn't woken up crying in years. Keeping my eyes closed, I roll over to reach across the small gap to his bed and mumble something comforting. Hopefully it works so I can get back to sleep. I stretch my arm out and drop my hand to the soft blanket covering him. But there isn't a blanket. Something cool and wet pricks my hand. Grass. My eyes spring open, all of my senses alert. The last vestiges of sleep evaporate from my body. I'm outside. Chills inch up my spine and the icy fingers of anxiety tighten their hold on my thoughts. Where am I and why am I here? My heart races as my mind frantically searches for the one piece of information that will force this to make sense. The whimpering, soft cries that woke me up, cut through the night again. It's a child crying, but not Zeke. I know my brother's cries. I take a deep breath, trying to calm the panic rising with each moment, and sit up. I'm in a clearing, in the middle of a forest, dark lumps surrounding me as far as I can see. The night is dark and eerily quiet. The only light comes from the flickering orange and red embers of a dying fire. Trees rise in black silhouettes against the midnight sky. The familiar scent of pine needles mixes with the lingering smoke from the fire. But why can't I hear the ocean waves crashing on the cliffs, or the Laysan River rushing through the trees? There's only one answer to those questions. This isn't Delamere Wood. I don't know where I am. My eyes adjust to the darkness. The dark lumps are sleeping people. I pull my knees to my chest and clasp my arms around them, squeezing my eyes shut as I try to recall how I came to be here. It's a blank. I rub my hands up and down my arms and rock back and forth. Breathe, Bria, I whisper. This is a dream. It has to be a dream. 
Hate to break it to you, but this isn't a dream. The menacing voice startles me. My eyes fly open and I spin toward the voice. I squint through the dark, struggling to glimpse him, but the night itself seems determined to hide his identity from me. I tremble. He speaks again. You weren't supposed to wake up for a few more hours. He clicks his tongue twice. We can't have that now, can we? I sense more than see his body close the distance between us. Before I can move away, his hand snakes out and covers my face with a cloth. A sickening smell slithers into my nose, my mouth. I push against him, turning my head, trying to get away from the stench, away from him. With his other hand, he grasps my upper arm in a bruising grip. I kick him in the shin. He grunts, and with the hand he has on my face, pushes me to the ground, pinning me in place. His grip is tight, painful. I need to fight, but my limbs seem weighted. My head spins, and everything fades. What is happening? I hope you're looking forward to continuing this story. There will be a new episode every day for the first week until the audiobook releases on October 6th, 2023. Then you can tune in each Friday to hear the next chapter. Or if you just can't wait, you can purchase the full audiobook wherever audiobooks are sold once it's released. Recruit of Talionis was written and narrated by CJ Malisi.